ugly, sloppy, too close for comfort. These are all words that I could use to describe Sacramento's win over the Portland Trailblazers. But when we wake up tomorrow morning and forget about how they won, we'll look at the record books and see three and four. Sacramento picks up their third win. The beam is lit, and that's all that matters. We're breaking down this Kings overtime win over the Blazers right here on Locked on Kings. You are Locked on Kings, your daily Sacramento Kings podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And now, ladies and gentlemen, it is that time. Time for another episode of Locked On Kings. Hello and welcome to Locked On Kings, your podcast hub for Sacramento Kings coverage all season long. Today's episode of the Locked On Kings podcast is brought to you by FanDuel. Make every moment more. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 Moneyline bet. $150 if your team wins. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On to get started. My name is Matt George. I have the privilege of being your host here. I'm a Sacramento sports anchor and reporter for ABC 10 News. And I know it's a cliche, a win is a win or win by any means necessary, but truly for the Sacramento Kings, they'll take it however they can get it at this point, especially with uh, the fact that they lost three straight coming into tonight's game and the fact that their last two losses, they got their butts handed to them by the Houston Rockets, which tonight I'm feeling a little bit better about that, seeing as how the Rockets just stuck it to the Los Angeles Lakers. So any uh, staggering Rockets fans who are still sticking around to tell me I told you so, you're justified. I underestimated the Rockets. They look really, really good to start this season, and we'll see uh, how they are going forward throughout these uh, these 82 games. But we're focusing on the Sacramento Kings, and regardless of how this game played out, and we'll talk about the ugly, because at times this looked like a game from 2013, right? Two teams that are below average, two teams that are fighting essentially for like bragging rights for future development and maybe draft lottery position. Like that, that's what this game reminded me of. A time in Sacramento Kings basketball that was far too familiar that I don't ever want to experience again for more than a year or two, right? Then the heart of that playoff drought when the Sacramento Kings were playing kind of just to play. That's what this game felt like at times for Sacramento. Now, in the end, 121 to 118. It's the second straight time they've won an overtime game on this floor. And there are plenty of positives to pull out of this, including the defense in the fourth quarter really during crunch time and the defense in overtime. Unfortunately, their offense was in shambles. The Portland Trailblazers did everything they could to hand the Sacramento Kings this game with, uh, with some sloppy turnovers and some bad decision-making on their end. But also you had like Davion Mitchell after, I can't remember if it was a missed shot or a turnover or whatever it was, Davion Mitchell running the full length of the floor to uh, to knock knock the ball out of bounds off DeAndre Ayton to, to give the Sacramento Kings a chance to win this game. Uh, some big defensive stops. The Kings made like two or three consecutive defensive stops in the fourth quarter to give themselves a chance to tie this game up and had a couple big stops uh, in overtime as well, including a stop at the end of regulation to force overtime and a stop at the very end of the game. Jeremy Grant got two looks at threes, uh, missed them both, and the Kings ultimately end up winning this game. So in that sense, the defense looked better. It looked solid. They were really able to win this game off the backs of their defense. And it's fun for me to say that regardless of the context because I don't get to say that very often with this Kings team. Maybe a win like this is exactly what this team needed because like I'll be honest with you, I was expecting to 
start this podcast tonight kind of like a, I feel better than I did after the Houston loss, but it's still terrible that the Sacramento Kings lost a game to a Portland Trailblazers team that not only is a rebuilding lottery team, they're a team where their top pick, Scoot Henderson, was not playing. The Kings nearly lost to that team. In the end, nearly doesn't matter. They won. That's all that we can, uh, or that's all that we should really care about, other than the, uh, the the context of some of the things that the Sacramento Kings can obviously improve on. Look, the bar was set really, really low coming into tonight. Right after those terrible games in Houston, it was like, hey, just provide a solid effort, provide a solid energy. I know De'Aaron Fox isn't playing for the fourth straight game. Yes, a win is absolutely the desire and the expectation on your home floor against a team like the Portland Trail Blazers, but just play better. Look better than you looked in those two games in Houston. And for the most part, they did. Like I, I was feeling pretty good about the way the Sacramento Kings were playing, and then I would look up at the scoreboard and see them only up by four points or only up by six points or at times trailing by two or three points. This game was close basically the entire time. And I would that, that score would bring me back to reality a little bit of, oh, wait a minute, the Kings are struggling to pull away against this Portland Trail Blazers team. Now, to be fair, I feel like if De'Aaron Fox were playing tonight, and if Anzer Butts, whatever, if De'Aaron Fox were playing tonight, I think the Kings would have been in a lot more of a comfortable situation than they were. Ultimately, he did not play. This game was far too close, but the Kings get the win in overtime. Let's talk about the surprise to start this game, and that was Keon Ellis replacing Davion Mitchell as the starting point guard with Fox out. When I saw this news, and we'd heard rumblings of it, and we were having discussions amongst the media that we heard that this was a possibility, I was really skeptical. I'm like, I know Mike likes to reward guys for when they play well, and and he was uh, glowing in his pregame press conference about how the way that the the, the end of the bench played, Keon, Alex Len, Kessler Edwards, the way that they closed that game in uh, in Houston made him feel a whole lot better because he was ready to, I guess, explode or, or lose his mind or he was going to be very frustrated uh, with that game period without, like, they salvaged a little bit of that game for him. And I get he wants to reward that for them playing the right way according to his standards. But I don't know if rewarding Keon for his really good play by elevating him from end of the bench to starting with the the main unit, and not just starting, but starting as a point guard, the most important position on the floor. Like, you are the floor general. You are the extension of the coaching staff. And on top of that, Keon Ellis is not a point guard. He can handle the ball a little bit, but Keon's a two. And in reality, like, that made me realize the Sacramento Kings only have one true point guard on this roster. Maybe you could say two, if you want to include, uh, if, if you want to include Jordan Ford, maybe, but he's a G League guy. He's a two-way contract guy, so I, I really shouldn't even in, in include that. De'Aaron Fox is the only true point guard on this roster, and they'd like to believe that Davion Mitchell is, but coming into tonight, he hasn't really been playing like it. Keon didn't do anything wrong in this game. I'll make it very clear. I thought Keon, like he had a, an errant pass or two. He ended up having a couple turnovers, uh, but. He had four points, four rebounds, three steals, four turnovers in 21 minutes. Like, I'm not, I'm not mad really at anything that Keon did. I thought he did his job. I thought he did his job. 
I don't know why I get Mike's stubbornness and I agreed with him to this point of Malik Monk is perfect with that second unit. But with De'Aaron Fox out, like you don't have the luxury of caring about the second unit as much as I think Mike is. Now, ultimately, starting doesn't matter that much because Monk is closing out the game on the floor and he was huge for the Sacramento Kings in the fourth quarter and in overtime. We'll get to that. But like, I'm not worried about the impact on your second unit when you need someone to replace your best player by a long shot. I'm starting Malik Monk. In the end, Mike got the win with Keon in his first start, so maybe it's just sour grapes. Maybe it doesn't really matter. I think Malik Monk should start. Monk tonight, 23 points, 4 of 16 from the field, but 15 of 19 from the free throw line. Yeah, 15 of his 23 points came from the free throw line. Also had 10 assists, which is a career high for him. I was actually really surprised. I think nine was actually his career high, and he uh, broke that tonight. I know he wasn't much of a passer and a ball handler in Charlotte and even in Los Angeles, and that side of his game has been, um, I wouldn't say emerged here in Sacramento, but he's been allowed to kind of use that side of his game here in Sacramento, unlike any other place he's played in his career. But I thought he'd have at least a 9 or 10 assist game at some point in his career. But 10 assists tonight, 6 rebounds, did turn the ball over 5 times, but we can ultimately look past that. It was a sloppy game. Uh, it, it is what it is. But Malik delivered in a major way. Of course, he hit. Uh, he missed four straight free throws, which was crazy because Malik is the best free throw shooter on this team by far. And then he didn't miss for the rest of the game. I mean, he just rattled off two clutch free throws to tie the game uh, in the fourth quarter, hit a couple clutch free throws to, to give the Kings the lead and help secure the win. Uh, DeMontis Sabonis also hit a clutch free throw uh, to help the Kings secure the win in overtime. Like, Malik stepped up. He He's really embraced that fourth quarter scoring the guy role that De'Aaron Fox has left behind. And God almighty, do the Sacramento Kings need De'Aaron Fox back, especially come Friday's game against the Oklahoma City Thunder. We have no news or no idea if he's going to be ready to go or not. I'm a little worried about how the Kings are going to perform in that game here inside the Golden 1 Center without him. That's something we'll talk about a little bit down the line. But how much was the decision to start Keon rewarding Keon for the way he played in Houston? And how much was that a message to Davion Mitchell? Because Davion was a letdown. Let's be honest. He had three games to step up. He played fine against the Warriors, played terrible in both games against the Houston Rockets. I'm not putting everything on his shoulders, but he did not do the job. Clearly, there was a fire lit under his ass tonight because he came out with energy. He came out with intensity. He was playing with a chip on his shoulder. He had a stretch uh, in the either first or second quarter where he scored eight straight points. Uh, he got a steal leading to a transition layup. He had a transition three and then another pull-up three, the, the next possession down the floor. like He came to play tonight. And he provided a 16.6 a of 9 from the field, 3 of 4 from 3-point range, 4 assists stat line. I'm not expecting 16 points a night from Davion. I'm not expecting him to go uh, to shoot 75% from the 3-point line every single night. But this is what Davion is capable of if he is in attack mode. And of course, he was doing his off-night stuff on the defensive end. I mentioned earlier his big defensive moments that he had in this game. But attack-minded Davion Mitchell is the best Davion Mitchell, and I don't know why he strays away from that so much. I don't know why, as the point guard, his tendency with De'Aaron Fox out is to walk the ball off the floor so much. Sacramento is known for their pace. That is their bread and butter. That is what they are, uh, uh, what they what made them so successful over these last couple seasons, but especially last season, of course. 
So why does he, as the floor general, and why did the Kings go away from that? It didn't make any sense in Houston. Credit to the Houston defense. Clearly, they had an impact on things as well. But Davion wasn't even trying to push the tempo as much as he should have in Houston. Well, he was clearly trying to push the tempo tonight. I don't know if he was fighting for his job. I don't know if he was fighting for uh, his reputation or if, if he needed to quiet some internal demons as well as some doubters from the, the Kings organization and, and maybe to prove Mike Brown wrong and make say, you're going to regret starting Keon over me. In the end, it was Davion Mitchell that was on the floor, mainly in that point guard position down the stretch, and Keon Ellis was not. So maybe the message was sent, and we'll see if Davion can build on this consistently. I also want to talk about DeMontis Sabonis really quick because I ripped him to shreds after the second Houston loss because he took four freaking shots. Like, four shots in a game where you're missing your leading scorer and your star in De'Aaron Fox. That was absolutely unacceptable. I ripped him to shreds for that. Well, he had four shots five minutes into this game, and he started this game 4-4. Had a lot of second-chance buckets, a lot of offensive rebounds to start this game, which was good to see. He finishes with 27 points, 11 of 14 from the field. Love that. 11 rebounds. Uh, six of them were offensive, I believe. Nine assists. Did turn the ball over six times. Again, kind of a sloppy, ugly game, so I'm willing to recognize it, not forgive it, but just kind of put it to the side and not use that to judge his overall game. Sabonis flirted with a triple-double. Like, this is the Sabonis that we need to see on most nights, not just nights when De'Aaron Fox is out. But Sacramento especially needed this kind of impact from Sabonis with Fox not playing. And what I love from Sabonis is that he was aggressive. Right, he was aggressive attacking the basket, but in a smart way. If the 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 Blazers and 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 DeAndre Ayton gave him open jumpers, he was taking them and he was hitting them. Like I love what I saw from Demonte Sabonis in this game, and it wasn't like him going above and beyond. This is what Sabonis can do on a nightly basis if he truly wants to. Maybe not the twenty-seven points. Maybe it's it's more around the low twenties. But regardless, like Sabonis can be this guy for Sacramento on a pretty regular basis. He was last season. I don't know why he couldn't do it and can't do it again this year. Also, I noticed the the dribble handoff game was a lot better for the Sacramento Kings tonight. Part of that has to do with the fact that the Trailblazers didn't really have the personnel to defend it as well as the Warriors or the Rockets do. Uh, and the other thing was, I think the Kings, like, I noticed that they were they were playing their dribble handoff game significantly lower than they were in Houston. A lot of the dribble handoff game was happening not just above the three-point arc, but well above the three-point arc in Houston. Tonight, it was happening more inside the three-point arc, top of the key area to maybe foot on the line. I just I don't know if that was that made a significant difference or whatever if that was the plan to to run the DHO game a little bit lower but it worked tonight and that's something I'm going to be paying attention to more going forward. Still have to talk about the Kings shooting. Right? The Kings have a problem with their three-point shooting. We got to talk about it. Plus Keegan Murray wasn't just ice cold tonight. He was frozen solid. We'll talk about that here in just a second. Like I mentioned at the top of the show, today's episode of the Locked on Kings podcast is brought to you by FanDuel. Score early this NFL season with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, FanDuel has a killer deal for new customers. You get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. That's it. All you have to wager is $5 of your own money. And find the biggest 
like the biggest favorite that you could possibly find. Even if it's a dumb bet that's only going to win you like 50 cents for your $5. That doesn't matter. Just find a way to get a winning bet. And it's not about the 50 cents or whatever that you make. It's about the $150 worth of bonus bets that FanDuel will get you with that winning bet. And you can use that $150 to have more fun, to bet more games, and to ultimately make more money. You can bet on things like spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, now is the perfect time to do so. They have great ways to bet on Sacramento Kings games all season long, from the money line bets and the spreads uh, to bets on individual player performances. You can even bet on how the Sacramento Kings are going to do in the uh, the in-season tournament, which starts on Friday. Visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. Kick off the NFL season and tip off the NBA season the right way. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. I felt like a bit of an outsider amongst Sacramento media last night and coming into tonight's game because I found a stat. I shouldn't say I found it. Uh, Will Z from uh, ESPN 1320. He does an amazing job with uh, just finding just stats and trends and things for the Sacramento Kings. Just an amazing guy. Check him out uh, on social media, Will Z. Um, He posted a graphic that showed that the Sacramento Kings are generating, or at least coming into tonight, they were generating the most wide-open three-pointers in the league. However, they were bottom of the league or towards the bottom of the league. It was like 22nd, 23rd, 24th. I don't remember the exact number, but they were in the bottom half of the league in wide open three-point shooting percentage. A lot of people saw that and reacted positively to it. And I get that perspective. A lot of people saw this and go, look, the Kings are generating open shots. At some point, these are going to fall. Right At some point, Keegan Murray is not going to shoot 32% from wide open. At some point, Kevin Herter is not going to shoot 29% from wide open or whatever it was. Like If the Kings keep generating good looks, those shots are going to fall. That is not the takeaway that I had. My takeaway was like, this is a problem that goes beyond just De'Aaron Fox being out. Sure, when De'Aaron comes back, you're probably going to generate even more wide open threes, but that doesn't matter if you're not hitting them. And that eventually the Kings will start making them. That's the same thing that I, you, so many people were saying over the course of the playoff series against the Golden State Warriors. At some point, these shots are going to start falling. The Kings are too good of a shooting team for them to continue to shoot this poorly. The entire playoff series, they shot poorly from three-point range. Now to start this season, they're shooting poorly from three-point range. Lo and behold, tonight, 11 of 37, 29.7% from three-point range. When the Kings needed a big three, for the most part, they could not buy a bucket except for there was a Harrison Barnes extra effort to save a ball from going out of bounds on an offensive rebound then got the ball back in the corner, hit a big corner three to help the Sacramento Kings uh, force overtime. Like that was, that was good to see from HB, and thank God that shot went down. But for the most part, the Sacramento Kings, whether it was Malik Monk, who I believe went 0 of 7 from three-point range, Kevin Herter, Keegan Murray, whoever it was, anytime the Kings needed a big three, clank, they just cannot hit that three-point shot to start this season. I guess you can call it a funk. To me, I'm starting to call it a trend because this is now 14 games, 14 games. And I know the Utah game, they shot okay from three-point range. I think it was like the mid to low 30s. 14 straight games, if you include the seven playoff games and the seven regular season games now, and that doesn't even include the uh, the preseason where the Kings shot terribly in the preseason too. 14 straight games since the Kings have kind of ramped up their defensive intensity, ramped up that defensive focus, that the shooting has been down. 
Now, there are a lot of other factors to this, right? Nine out of those 17 games you played against the Golden State Warriors, the Warriors seem to defensively match up well against the Kings, just like the Kings, for some reason, defensively match up well against the Warriors, right? So you could you could talk about that. You could talk about, like, we can't combine these seven games of the regular season with the seven games of the playoffs because there were months off in between. Whatever. Like, there are caveats and there are little reasons for you to, I guess, dismiss what I'm saying. What I'm seeing is this is the point that the Sacramento Kings really tried to emphasize defensive improvement and being better on that end of the floor and putting their energy into being that better on that end of the floor. And this has been the consistent shooting from that point. You can call it a funk if you want to. I do think there's a lot of that. Like, the Kings are just in a shooting funk to start this season. Just in a funk. But I don't think we can just chalk it up to that and move on. Because, again, this is becoming a trend. This is what we're this this Kings team is starting to be known for is just missing wide open threes. It's alarming at this point because if the Kings were hitting their threes, this game isn't even close. If the Kings were hitting their threes, they beat the Golden State Warriors in that that Clay Thompson game winner. If the Kings are hitting their threes, they're probably instead of three and four, uh, they're probably four and three at this point, minimum. So, I don't know. And it's not, I mean, it's it's not on any one guy. Like, we were focusing a lot on Kevin Herter in the preseason and coming into the regular season. He's actually starting to work his way through it. Uh, tonight, Kevin Herter went uh, uh, four of nine from three-point range, so that's certainly better. Uh, Davion Mitchell, like I mentioned, did well from three-point range, three of four. Like, it's not everybody. Or, sorry, it's not just one or two guys. But some of their main guys, like Keegan Murray, it's really apparent. Keegan Murray... Man, he couldn't hit water if he fell out of a boat tonight. Like, I have never seen Keegan Murray this ice cold. He had a decent bounce-back game in the second loss in Houston after going 1 of 15 from three-point range in the Warriors game and the first Houston game. I don't know if he's in his own head. I don't know if he's not getting set. Like, uh, James Ham brought up a really good point on ESPN 1320 today that, like, He's drifting a lot on his threes, and he's not, like, feet set, squaring his shoulders as much. But even with, he got squared shoulders, set feet threes tonight. Clank, 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 clank. Like, Keegan, nine points, four of 17 from the field, one of six from three-point range. Now, what I like about that is that 11 of his 17 shots came from within the three-point arc. It wasn't just, I'm just hoisting up threes and hoping these are going to start falling. Like, he did more than just chucking up threes and trying to literally shoot himself out of this, uh, this this slump that he's in. I also like that he finished with seven rebounds, three assists, two blocks, and a steal. Okay, I'm not hitting my shots. Obviously, this team needs that from me. They could have used it tonight, but let me be impactful in other ways, right? Th- these are... These are lessons that I think like Harrison Barnes could learn from a little bit because if you're if you're not scoring, you can do other things. This is also something that I think Kevin Herter's done a good job job of this year. He's, he's improved as a rebounder. Uh, I think he he's not doing a terrible job like facilitating the offense and trying to get to the basket and, and getting his other teammates involved. Like Keegan, at least he wasn't completely like a non-factor. He did get blocked at one point by his brother Chris Murray. It was cool to see the Murray twins uh, out together. I'm not gonna lie to you. Like I knew Chris was playing. It was one of the major storylines coming into tonight, or at least I knew Chris was coming to Sacramento. I was on the court during shoot-around, and I'm walking the court, and I see Chris, 
and I see the red Blazers gear that he's looking at, and I did a double take. I was like, what the hell is Keegan doing wearing red? Like, they are identical twins. I de they look exactly alike, although one shoots left and one shoots right. So that's, uh, that's a little bit weird. But Key uh, Chris doesn't play very much. Keegan obviously struggled. Chris got a block of Keegan at one point, which was really the moment of the night between the two. Uh, I'm sure that's going to be brought up at the Thanksgiving dinner table. They, like, they're, they're both such pros and, and so kind of, you know, like the, the Murray kind of melancholy, quiet, straight-faced very little smiling or whatever <laughs> there was no like I, I kind of wanted to see Chris like pump out his chest and say like yeah I blocked you bro uh but whatever <laughs> it was I guess fun to see uh those two uh, interacting but Keegan I mean man he's just working through it he is working through it right now and I have full confidence in his ability to, to get through it the Sacramento Kings are definitely going to need him to get through it but right now Keegan yikes 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 I do want to talk about Alex Len, though. I love Alex Len. I love Alex Len. Like, Alex just stays ready. He had crazy circumstances last season with everything that's going on in, in Ukraine. He has family in Ukraine and everything, and, uh, and we don't even need to bring that up. But, like, crazy circumstances last year ends up actually playing and giving the Kings important minutes in the playoffs has barely played this season, played in garbage time against Houston, did some good things, takes JaVale McGee's spot in the rotation tonight, and plays damn well. 10 points, 4 of 4 from the field, including a couple big poster dunks, 6 rebounds, 2 blocks in 13 minutes of action. He sets the best screens on the team by far. Like, I like JaVale McGee. I like his one-two punch with, with Malik Monk, although you could put a lineup of Malik Monk and four centers out there, and those four centers will have a field day because Malik just finds a way to get them to score. He also got uh, sets a bonus up for a nice dunk uh, at one point in tonight's game. But I, 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 I wouldn't hate it if Alex Len is taking JaVale McGee's spot, and maybe he's just keeping it warm for when Trey Lyles returns. Trey Lyles, I imagine, is going to be the small ball five, although Sasha Vazenkov didn't play tonight. Sasha Vizenkov might have fallen out of the rotation a little bit. Maybe it's a one-time thing. Maybe this is what we're going to see more going forward, and maybe Trey just steps into the minutes that Sasha was getting. I don't know. But all I know is Alex Len stays ready. He comes in, and he makes an impact every single time. Doesn't mean he doesn't make mistakes. Doesn't mean there aren't better options for the Sacramento Kings out there. But Alex Len just plays hard. He plays well. I'm such a fan of his, uh, and it was fun to see him ball out for the Kings tonight. He was instrumental in this win. So before we wrap up, I have a good, I have a great, and I have a bad. Let's start with the bad. Let's just get it out of the way. The Kings turned the ball over 21 times. Earlier today, I, this is maybe my fault. Maybe I jinxed it. Because earlier today, I was just going through some numbers and seeing, like, where are the Kings ranking in some kind of obscure stats? And I found out that the Kings are one of the best teams in the league at taking care of the basketball. They're, sec uh, they're, they're second in the league in overall turnovers behind only the Chicago Bulls, which is really, really cool to see. I also found out that the Kings are the best of the league in, in assists in, in clutch time. So they move the ball really, really well uh, when uh, when the game is on the line. A lot of that, of course, has to do with De'Aaron Fox. But like the Kings have done a really good job this season taking care of the basketball. Now, they had one game in particular. I think it was the first game in Houston that they were terrible at taking care of the basketball. And tonight. They were terrible at taking the basketball or taking care of the basketball. They actually scored more points off of Portland's turnovers than Portland scored off of their turnovers. But the 19 points on the 21 turnovers kept Portland in the game and I thought was actually going to be the difference in, in the Kings losing this game. Really, thankfully, they were able to, to, to pull it out. Let's talk about the good and the great. The good is, like I mentioned, with assists sharing the basketball, 
The Kings are at their best when they're moving the ball, and they had 32 assists tonight, of course, led by Malik Monk's 10. DeMontis Sabonis had 9. Uh, 41 total field goals. So 32 of their 41 field goals were assisted. You love to see that from the Kings. And the great, after not being able to touch the paint, really, period, against Houston, they scored 58 points in the paint tonight. They were getting around the rim. A lot of that had to do with Sabonis, but everybody was attacking Malik Monk as well. And the Kings, who, again, are known for their pace and known for getting out and running in transition, they seemed to correct that tonight. The energy was a lot better. They had 18 fast break points after, I don't think they had 18 fast break points combined during that road trip. So good to see Sacramento uh, bounce back and, and do a better job uh, pushing the tempo. I am, though, concerned. I am concerned about Friday. The Oklahoma City Thunder are a really good basketball team. They have natural counters to the Kings, like Lou Dort always gives the Kings fits on the defensive end of the ball. Uh, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, I think, had like 41 points or something like that tonight. He was ridiculous. Chet Holmgren is balling. It's his rookie season, second year in the league, but he got hurt all last season. So in his rookie season, he's playing really, really, really well, not to mention the other pieces that OKC has. Like, it's your first tournament game. I don't know how much that matters to the Kings. They're the first tournament night in the NBA or a couple tournament nights were apparently very, very successful. They were very interesting. The ratings were super, super high. So people are curious. People are interested, myself included. But these games, too, matter towards the regular season. So even if you take the tournament aspect out of it, it's another game that the Sacramento Kings would love to win and ultimately get back to 500. We have no idea if De'Aaron Fox is going to play or not. No clue. I hope to God he is. In fact, I made a joke that there's a line at Kaiser Hospital in Sacramento right now of people willing to donate their, their ankles to, uh, to De'Aaron. In fact, there's probably been a line since De'Aaron first got hurt against the Los Angeles Lakers. The Kings are going to need De'Aaron Fox in that game. If they play without Fox and play the way they did tonight, I think OKC is wiping the floor with them. Not trying to speak that into existence. Not saying, of course, I, I want that at all. And I don't like being more pessimistic than I am optimistic. This isn't my brand, right? But I'm also trying to be realistic. And the Kings still, they won tonight. Like I said in the intro, a win's a win, does not matter. They're still not playing their best basketball at all. At all. Now, that's encouraging that they can be 3-4 and four without really playing their best basketball, but it's also discouraging because at what point are they going to look like the Kings from last season that took the, the league by storm? They're not catching anybody by surprise anymore, but that doesn't mean they can't still play their game and just be better than the adjustments that teams are throwing at them. We have not seen that yet at this season or this season to this point. Appreciate all of you who are here at the Golden One Center who said hi. A couple of you I got the chance to chat with, uh, some of you just in passing really quick. I appreciate you so, so much. If you're coming to Friday's game, be sure to let me know. would love, uh, love to chat with you. Um, I have a podcast coming before Friday night's game. I'm expected to be joined by uh, Kenny Caraway from ESPN 1320. Looking forward to chatting with him a little bit. That'll probably drop the more Friday morning. And then, obviously, Friday night, late night to early Saturday morning, depending upon when I get it out, I will have the post-game pod after Kings and Thunder. So keep an eye out for that. Can't wait to see you at the Golden One Center on Friday or just see you here on the Locked on Kings podcast after the show, or rather after the game. Appreciate your support, as always. Can't wait to have you join me on the next episode. Until then, my name is Matt George. You've been listening to the Locked on Kings podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network.